Hey. Hey, I think it works now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear me when I said the world's is- most boring cold open? Yeah. That was good. We should keep that. <laughs> should we just like torment our audience with like with silence. 10 minutes of silence of me just going shoddy? Shoddy. <laughs> well, we said that we we wanted to test our listeners to see like how far we can go we without can them giving up on us. We said this. I think there. I think in the past we have. Mm-hmm. This is that's the founding principle of this place is torment our torment people who want to be tormented. It's like a it's like an S and M dungeon of podcasts. Well, that's the only way to know who's truly devoted to you. Yeah, it's true. I don't know if that's true. That's what Radiohead did with uh, Kid A. That's true. That part is true. But Kid A, Kid, you think we're we're on the level of Kid A? That is to say, no. I think we have to get there. That's yeah. the aspiration. Yeah, yeah. I think now we're just doing like the bends and maybe okay computer. Right, right. I Kid guess we should Kid stop there. <laughs> Kid A is amazing. It really is an amazing. I like it record. a lot. Yeah, but we don't want to lose our listeners who have no idea what we're talking about. So we'll let's put it in get the show right. notes. They should. They should. They should. Uh, they should. <laughs> they should. You know, this is part of the whole thing. Learn. Yeah. Well, it's been a long. I'm tired. It's yeah. been a, it's been a difficult day, and I think last night was difficult too. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Demir's uh, like no. <laughs> I I I'm 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 okay with everything. I mean, I as long as Trump doesn't uh, either win, um, because I think that would lead to objectively bad outcomes, or manage to. Um, somehow muddy the waters enough that that we just like actually descend into descend into chaos somehow um apart from that i'm I'm good with all of this okay oh yeah i mean which part which part are you unhappy about you wanted the senate yeah sure why Why would why would that have been good because then policies could have been passed without obstruction from Republicans, yeah, but which policies? <laughs> the ones we like. Court packing. I guess you, you came. You came on. You came onto the court packing idea by the end. There. No, no. On a more serious note, stimulus, like actually addressing things, well, doing criminal justice reform. I mean, I think. I think for criminal justice reform, that could happen. Um, as for stimulus, you know, I was talking to to actually Mark Schleifer. We had like an ongoing uh, side chat uh, throughout most of the day today. Um. And I, I he he mentioned stimulus too as like one of the casualties. Um I think I think it's it's there's something about Trump that is uh you know so impossible to to even, you know, I mean he had or at least he talked about something like a stimulus. I guess there was not 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 nothing even nothing ever came of that because there was nothing there to even talk about. But but I I could imagine uh, a Biden administration that has internalized the limits of its mandate, trying to craft a kind of stimulus bill that, in fact, won't have a lot of green pork in it, that could pass. Uh, maybe I'm being too optimistic here, but but this seems like a pretty healthy election, like that that basically voters saw what was on offer, said, God, that Trump guy, what a schmuck, uh, and you know, like he's not he's not doing a really great job for us on the margins. You know, I mean, Trump did reasonably well, um, but o- overall, they reject Trump uh, in the popular vote and through the Electoral College uh, and largely split the ticket because the the big th- story of this is the fact that 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 the Senate's not going to flip hands. 
And that that is that's a good outcome. You know, I mean, I was saying about uh, last night, I was saying about democracy, not not uh, just being a sort of legitimation legitimation mechanism to your comments about, you know, rebuilding the country through the democratic process. If I was to con- contradict myself today on that, I would say, well, this is actually a pretty sound democratically legitimated outcome. Split the ticket because, uh, in fact, the what was on offer as a counter to Trump was too radical. So voters took that into account and said, meh. No? Huh. Okay. Now you're making me feel better. Well, to be fair, Demir and I were at the same election party. Don't worry, not too big um, gathering, let's say. And um, and I guess Demir was more chill about this. I mean, I I felt that same sense of dread that I felt four years ago when I remember it almost came back to me. It's like the last, the last four years hadn't even happened. And I was back to where I was that night in 2016. And that was not a good feeling. I mean, I don't know if you could notice it, Demir, but there were a couple of moments there where I almost felt nauseous and I had to sort of like gather myself. And you might say, well, this is a standard like liberal bedwetting. And I guess we do have a tendency in that direction. But, um, you know, the gap between expectations and reality was quite large last night. And um, I think there's also anger. So, So forget about disappointment and the policy implications. I'm also angry at my party. Um, I'm angry at the political media class in this country that have undermined our ability as Americans to understand our own country and spent the last four years dismissing Trump supporters as bigots or God knows what or fascist supporters. And that made it harder for us to understand where a lot of the country was. And I'm just, I just want this to be a reckoning. I want people to take a step back and say enough is enough. This is the second straight time we nominated um, a somewhat boring, my not charismatic, um, normal seed, someone who just wants to make us what we were before, a kind of return to normalcy kind of candidate, which I had become sympathetic to during coronavirus. Um, I wanted normalcy too, but I guess a lot of the country, that's just not enough. You need a candidate with a message who inspires people, you need to have enthusiasm on your own side. And we keep on nominating candidates who cannot enthuse actual Democrats. Yeah. Um, Enough. When, when are we going to learn our lesson? If we, and I, Daniel Bessner uh, put this quite well on Twitter today. What's the point of an organization here? He's referring to the democratic party that can't, that can't beat, it probably will, but it's very close, but can, basically can barely beat one of the weakest, most polarizing presidents who also has been presiding over a coronavirus disaster plus economic catastrophe. If we can't win in these circumstances, and, and this is an argument I've made for a while, like this is absurd. Okay, I, I don't know. There's so many ways to. I mean, there's, just, there's a lot packed in there. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hold you to the fact that that you were like you were craving normalcy. <laughs> I'm craving normalcy. Sure. Right. right. No. But so, apparently, I mean, that, other Americans disagree. No. Well, I mean, that's fine. I mean, we're we're just 
specks and on the beach you know like not even a, a full grain of sand like it doesn't matter what our individual preferences are so i don't i don't really it doesn't really matter what what your preferences are but you know hold on how how to, how to sort of start skinning that one um is trump a weak candidate or is he a strong candidate um he's not he's not a popular candidate but that doesn't mean he's weak I mean, I think that's the, the, the thing that, that we ought to have learned now, however this election goes. Biden's victory, the fact that it would have been, it would have been this close, tells us something, I think, pretty uh, important about Trump and Trumpism. That first thing it tells us, which is one of my favorite things that it tells us, is that, um, that in fact, uh, you know, foreign meddling and all this sort of stuff is actually just noise in the machine. I'm sure, you know, they were throwing as much stuff into the social media matrix as before, but luckily there was very little talk about it because somehow I think as a society, we've come to grips with the fact that there's nothing to that, that in fact, adding noise to the, to the, to the matrix just basically, um, gets dissolved by us and our decision our collective decision is still pure i think that's hopefully the the realization of this so there's no talk about meddling and, and false consciousness and stuff the, so i'll just tw- say yeah just, go on. that is actually very reassuring i hadn't even thought of that and you're right on twitter last night at the election gathering no like russia didn't even come up and i'm not sure exactly how and why that turned out to be the case but yes that is very good and 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 so the thing about that is is someone else tweeted that late last night i i stopped like even noting these things at a certain point waiting for trump and his gimp pants to come out on stage but <laughs> but it's it's um the uh someone tweeted something along the lines like the person who should feel best after this election is Hillary Clinton, because also, you know, to a certain extent, Trump won or, you know, outperformed expectations in the exact same way he did in 2016. And it proves that she wasn't robbed. In fact, she ran a very similar campaign to this and, you know, uh, came out about the same place as Biden. Now, Biden, you know, the, the, the electoral math gets shifted around a bit. Yeah, there's a larger turnout. It's not a it doesn't map perfectly. And, you know, there were shifts in, in how the electorate voted. But but in the the fact that Trump's, you know, so again, just the maybe tackle this point first, this idea that Trump is a weak candidate, I think it should be put to bed at this point. Um, he he at least contested very strongly two elections and. Fair and square won at least one of them at this point. Well, weak insofar as he has uniquely low favorability ratings. And generally, that makes it harder to win an election. Therefore, he's weaker than, let's say, someone who has higher favorability ratings. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. But also, maybe it's less that Trump himself is the weak candidate and more that Democrats nominate weak candidates. So I guess you can look at it either way. I I think that... There's a little bit to both aspects of that. Um, I think that Trump, you know, uh, and we know this from from polling that there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm about his response to COVID. Yeah, um, I haven't been as hard on him as others, and I think that it's silly to say I don't like. One thing I do not like is this refrain that I endlessly and it continued today. That how could Trump win considering that 
200,000 plus Americans have died from COVID. I think what we've realized is most Americans don't really blame Donald Trump for the loss of life. Yes, they think that his messaging has been bad. He hasn't presented a clear vision for how to address the virus. He's been all over the place in his own statements, but and maybe Americans in their wisdom in, in their inherent wisdom understand that um maybe the death toll could have been a little bit lower, but there would have still been a very high death toll. And I think uh, at this point, our cumulative cases per capita is, is, you know, similar to, to a number of countries in Europe with their recent spikes, so on and so forth. So, but still, I mean, um, the, the headlines have been pretty negative for a long, for a long time, for eight months. There's a sense that our country has been in a very challenging spot. There's been a sense of continuous chaos, considering that he wasn't able to address these issues effectively at all and seemed to almost be dialing it in. That suggests to me that, he, you know, he didn't have a campaign strategy beyond I don't even know how to how to describe it. But this is not someone who launched a vigorous campaign for reelection with a clear message or with any coherent approach. His only coherent approach was getting people to to come out to rallies. And apparently that does make a difference. But um, but here's someone who I think a lot of Republicans would have, have said to pollsters, hey, a lot of what he does bothers us. We don't like X, Y, and Z. When you have people who are willing to acknowledge that Trump is bad in certain ways, but you can't make a play to get them to vote for your own side, that to me suggests that there's a weak candidate on the Republican side, and then there's a weak candidate who's not able to bring those voters, even some of them, even a sliver of them, to to, to our side. But you're I, okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Uh... <laughs> I'm just going to ask you. I mean, and you think a harder left candidate would have done that? No, I didn't say that. Well, so I'm asking you. <laughs> I'm torn on the Bernie thing, okay? And I know people have been joking, well, Bernie would have won. I think that my idealized version of Bernie would have won. I think the sweet spot in American politics is basically what Bernie kind of is deep down and what he maybe could have been. I don't know if Democrats and the left would have let him become that or to stay that candidate. In other words, a candidate who is economically populist, respectful of the other side and willing to engage with them without dismissing them as irredeemable bigots and also fundamentally unwoke. That is the sweet spot of American politics. And that's what I wanted Bernie to be, and I think he's partly that. So, yes, that version of Bernie, I think, could have beaten Donald Trump. Do you think? Um, I don't think that no, would have happened. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. Do, you think, do you think? Do you think uh, Obama was a strong candidate? Yes, for sure. Uh, why? He's not an economic populist. I mean, he could talk to the other side, but isn't that sort of the 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 promise, at least the appeal of Joe Biden, that he could talk to the other side? Working class dude, Scranton, you know, drives a Camaro. I never bought else. that. And that was actually my critique during the primary, that there are a lot of Americans who don't want to go 
back to the status quo ante. They don't want to return to normalcy. They want someone to channel their anger in an authentic way. They feel that something is wrong and they're angry at elites, whether it's economic elites, cultural elites or whatever. And they want someone who they can feel is on their side willing to fight for them. Bernie, to me, was not a hard left candidate. He was he was he he had there was a possibility of transcending the often, I think, oversimplified perception of a clear left right divide because um, there are Trump voters who I think could see and would see correctly that Bernie would fight for them, even though they were deplorables, quote unquote. Um, and Bernie would have made a real play for them. And I don't think he would have had any compunction. And we saw this in the primary where he was the one of the few who was willing to go on Fox News, talk to people in town halls. And there was always a sense of uh, this generosity of spirit that he would not condemn his opponents as being beyond the pale. And you could tell that he wasn't comfortable with the woke stuff. Now, I think that if he had become the nominee, my major concern would have been, and in retrospect, I think this may have very well happened. Keep in mind, the BLM protests and the whole woke movement didn't gain gain its steam until the protests in June. So by that time, obviously, Bernie was not in, in the primary. So we, we didn't really see that coming and all that. So, But with that, now that we know that that was a major development of the past eight months, I think after that, Bernie would have come under a lot of pressure to really embrace wholeheartedly a lot of this woke silliness. And I don't think that's him, but I think he may have been, he might have just gone along with it or tried to meet this woke left base halfway. And that would have scared a lot of people. You combine the the fears of socialism, which I think are unfair, with the fears of wokeism. And I, I can see Bernie really struggling with that. Um, so I don't know. But I think that my my bigger point here is that there should be a sweet spot of someone who is more of a unifying candidate who can also speak in terms of economic populism. Now, Obama obviously was not an economic populist, but he could speak in a populist way where he could really get people excited. So for me, there's it's almost more of a stylistic issue. You have to be able to get people excited and you can do that through sheer charisma and the personal story, which is what Obama did, or you can do that through a kind of anger that is also mixed in with hope, which is what I think Bernie could promise, that he was angry, but he also made people feel like we as Americans could be better if we just got more serious about addressing massive inequality in our country, white, black, whatever, the class-based critique that didn't fall into like the whole skin color stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, but also Obama was a different time. I mean, I think economic populism is more attractive now considering where we are than it, than it was in 2008 or for that matter, even in 2012. You think, you think, um, Obama couldn't pull it off if somehow he were allowed to run? No, and, I think he would have won because he's just, because he's more charismatic. And, and to he, you, and to you personally is, is, uh, is believing more important than the policy outcomes? I don't, but you know me, I've never really been a stickler for specific policies. No, I mean, I'm and, just pushing you on that. I sort yeah, of know yeah. that, but I'm pushing you on that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so I know like, it's worth pushing me on. Do you, do you, do you not, do you not, does it, does it like. I don't think people vote on policy. Oh, I so, think that's true. Yeah. But, so I think people vote on how they feel about a candidate. They want to feel 
they want to feel something for the candidate they're supporting. I think that was hard to come by with Joe Biden. Yes, a lot of people felt that he was decent, but feeling that your candidate is decent is a lot different than waking up and feeling excited that your candidate is going to offer a vision for your country. No one really knows what the Biden vision for the country was. I guess we could basically describe it, but is that a vision? No. The vision was like, hey, Trump is really bad. I'm a decent guy. Norms matter. Morality matters. I'm a, I don't even know. Here, I'm, I'm struggling to even explain to you what Biden's vision was. Right. But does it matter to you? Are you, are you, you actually, uh, would you have been disappointed um, if after four years of democratic rule, nothing had been achieved and you just had like, uh, you know, a, a guy like Obama, who was, I think, was committed to centrism and compromise and then would just be frustrated at every turn. Uh, does that matter to you? Yes, it does. And that's one reason I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I was never, as I think our dear listeners will know, I'm not a big fan of Obama. But um, at some point, you also want to win. I'm not a big fan of Biden, but did I want him to really win by a clear margin? Yes. So, but would I, did I, was I planning to be critical of Biden for the coming four years, especially on foreign policy? Yes. And that's precisely what I was doing when Obama was president. And I think there, my, my sort of fantasy of the next four years, as you know, Demir, is that I was hoping that Biden would get a clear victory and I could, you know, focus, you know, refocus on foreign policy and criticizing my own side, but also trying to get my own side, the Democrats, to be better on foreign policy, especially when it came to supporting human rights and democracy abroad. I have a book project that's prim primarily about this. I had this fantasy that today would be day one of my writing regimen. Um, so the book, not to go into too much detail about it, but the book is, um, you know, basically green light. And it's happening, and I'm excited about it, and I want to really dive in. And um, that's uh, – so some of this is also selfish. Obviously, I think, you know, a Biden – a clear Biden victory would have been a lot better for the country. But there's also – I have my personal preferences, and I think all of us do, and we're all affected by this in different ways. And I want it to move on. I don't – I hate – as much as I love this debate, Demir, that we've been having about like wokeism, culture wars, how much the elite media and political class suck and get every single big question wrong. I mean, let's just be okay. I don't want to go on a big rant. They literally get everything wrong and there is no accountability. These people have to pay a price. And like, I just, how can they get away with this shit? Sorry. Yeah, no, look, I, but he, I mean, I agree with you and I'm tired too and of sort of beating around that bush at this point. Um, that said, again, I, I'm, I'm, uh, let me just push back a little bit. Uh, if Biden wins and at time of recording right now, uh, which is, uh, what is it like six thirty on Wednesday? Um, it it looks like he might pull out, might uh, might pull it out and actually win. I mean, it, it's at least at this point, as we're recording, uh, yeah. there's, a, there's a certain kind of optimism that 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 Biden is going to yep. do it. You don't need a Senate to for Biden. In fact, Biden uh, hemmed in at home on his entire domestic agenda is likely to have to look outwards and have a foreign policy agenda. What are you worried about? <laughs> No, I guess like, but 
the, the um, it's a good point, right? And I'll still be able to, uh, you know, focus on this project and, you know, hopefully give it as, as much attention as I can without being distracted too much by the headlines and all that. Um, I guess what I mean more is I wanted there to be what we predicted in, you know, a previous Wisdom of Crowds um, debate online. We can include the show notes for those of you who missed it. The title was Whatever, where yeah. we were hoping for a clear Biden victory. We can sort of shove it with all, you know, shove it down all the fascist warning people and say, oh, you know, well, Trump can like our our we had this kind of like running joke that Trump would give this great like it was clear he had no chance. He saw the writing on the wall. Then he gave this like surprisingly gracious um, concession speech, like obviously with some barbs like Biden's like the worst candidate ever. But you know what? I, what can I do? I lost to the, you know, he make some jokes about it and whatever. And then he'd be the leader of the opposition or something like that for four years and like hold rallies across the country as people got disillusioned with Biden almost right away. And then he'd run for president again in 2024 and all that. But at least we did not, we would not have become a dictatorship or fascism or the coup that people expected if, you know, Trump wouldn't accept the election results. And we could just like close that chapter, be like, hey, you guys were all wrong. Let's now move on and focus on other things. Uh, but I, I kind of feel like we got all of that. We did. Um, didn't we? <laughs> no, well, you're, you're mean, just upset because the Senate's gone. But ultimately, I think you're about to get all of this. Basically, look, it's but possible. He's not, he's not, he's not, gi- I mean, he's, he's not, not giving a gracious concession speech, which was always not going to happen. It was, a, it was a fun thing to like joke about while like on road <laughs> trips, but like that just wasn't going to happen. Um, uh, I, again, you know, I, I, I was saying earlier that like Trump like pranced onto the stage last night with his gimp, Mike Pence in tow. I don't know. Were you awake? Did you go to sleep? Did you watch it? Uh, I didn't see it. I was, I was, I think probably eating something at that point. And then I was just like done. I could not look anymore at the headlines and I just fell asleep at like two or 3 a.m. Yeah. So, so he, he gives this speech, if you want to call it that. It's, you know, it's everything you expect from a Trump speech, like deranged, rambling, it's going through state by state and whatever. And then he just sort of finishes it. And he's like, oh, we're going to fight and disenfranchise with people, whatever. And he's like, finishes. And he's like, Mike, Mike, come up here. Our great vice president, Mike Pence, is going <laughs> to say a few words. And like Pence saunters up there sort of uncomfortably. He's like with this like rictus grin on his face. <laughs> and and uh, and he's... Uh, uh, he he he's like, oh, Mr. President, you have turned out so many people, and we love democracy, and we're gonna fight until the last vote is counted. You know, like basically not saying what what Trump was saying, like we're gonna go to courts and you know fight <laughs> disenfranchisement. But so I just walked away from that, just thinking to myself that basically I think Pence was probably in the back room being like, Mr. President, <laughs> this is not the time for the speech. Just like <laughs> shut the fuck up. Yeah. And, and so to shame him. Trump was like, now, Mike, after I've said what I've said, are you going to contradict me in front of people? And it's just like, get up on there and like talk. That was my my little interpretation based on nothing, you know, maybe maybe <laughs> false. But but like, that's good. Yeah. OK, so, so look at I, I, I what, what if if that's at all true, 
Uh, you saw Mitch McConnell today also gave a very Pence-like sort of statement about, you know, uh, not 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 terribly, uh, you know, fire fire breathing about challenging any of this in court, like no mention of, of stealing, very anodyne sort of, uh, you know, we're counting votes and we look forward to the results. I forget what he said, whatever. I don't think there's any appetite among Republicans exactly. to, to do yeah. this. So, in fact... We're right on that. Like there's maybe there's a, a couple of yahoos going to show up and, and protest outside of these things. Maybe it even gets violent. It's not going to be a coup. It's not going to be a revolution. And I think by and large, we should have a president. And, you know, uh, Trump's going to try and run some stuff up the pole. I don't think I don't I don't even understand. Maybe again, some some smart lawyers uh, can tell me different. I, I don't I, I don't see what the case is. I I I I yet hear I've yet to hear or see anyone say that there is a case here. Um so it just sounds like a that that this deranged orange moron we've had for 4 years just foaming at the mouth for a while. You so, know what's fascinating Demir? I'm listening to you right now and processing what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, wow. I I'm actually what if I've been misinterpreting this this day one of the new era? Uh, and look, actually, I just got a message from, you know, one of our mutual uh, friends, colleagues, and he's like, hey, um, you know, wokeness was humiliated at the ballot box or something like that. And um, and maybe like so for someone who is anti-woke, such as me, this is a silver lining and an otherwise unsatis- unsatisfying result. Because let's say Biden had had won. I'm just thinking this through right now. If he had won by a clear margin, the woke people would have been, they would have felt very emboldened, whether they had any right to be um, or not. And they would have, they would have sort of gone forth with much more confidence than, than would be warranted. And now I think they realize they're on the defensive. Check and this out. We're inter- yeah, right. Yeah. Huh? No, no. Look, but it's 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 more than that. Check this out, though. It's it's it's. I think all of the people that that um, had things wrong. There's a potential here for a moment of clarity. Doesn't mean that politics are not going to reassert themselves and it's not going to be ugly or or anything like that. But there's a moment of clarity here. Not only I think has potentially the left, and I do want to hear you talk about the woke some uh, on on the stuff, especially by the fact that 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 uh, it looks like, um, at least from these early exit polls, we'll know more soon, but like that, that Trump really moved the needle on minorities voting for Republicans, which is one of the biggest stories of this, if it if it pans out. Um, but but more importantly than that, if this plays out as it could easily play out from right now on Wednesday evening, that is Trump is shown the door. There's no meaningful challenge. There's, uh, you know, something muddles through the courts. The media ignores it and mocks it. No turnout, nothing. And he's declared to have lost, um, quote unquote, fascism, i.e. everything that's bad about Trump goes away. It's sidelined. He'll still be part of our politics. Uh, his his performance means that um, he has tapped into something real in America and people that follow him are going to have to do that as well. However, all the people, all the never Trump people, all the people who were on the front lines of the resistance fighting, you know, neo Hitler from their keyboards, all these people have come up short. 
all that money that was spent to to uh, to fight Trump looks to have completely come up as nothing. And here's the other part. All those people who are supposedly were Republicans and were trying to win their party back at this point, they don't have a party. They're gone. They either can join sort of Bidenism. So there, there might be like a bunch of former Republicans trying to hew to the sort of uh, Biden foreign policy core. And I don't know what they have anything to say on domestic. But I'm not sure they even have a home in the Democrats, given the the sort of fights the Democrats are going to be facing right now and the influx of former Republicans into the sort of centrist Biden camp, uh, I think will will just make the Biden camp much more toxic. So they may have no home whatsoever. So I don't know. I feel like in many ways, all the right people have lost here. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe then my issue is less disappointment and just perhaps more anger, angry. But I guess um, in some sense, it's good that a lot of us are angry at these gatekeeper types because then there could be, as you say, a moment of clarity, a reckoning. Yeah. But I still, I still, it, it remains though that in more substantive policy terms, <clears throat> you know, a lot of good things that could have been done will not be done. Now you probably, you'll say that, you know, from your standpoint, maybe those things weren't good. Um, and I guess if I'm thinking it through, the main thing is um, stimulus. But we, you know, as you say, there might be a major opportunity to still strike something with Republicans on that, you know. Um, I'm skeptical. I guess, um, yeah, well, I mean, maybe <laughs> this shows that I'm not a big policy person because... How much do you, how much do you, how seriously do you take the environment stuff in the sense that like we're actually on the cusp of, of destroying the planet? That doesn't really resonate with me. Yeah. I don't right. care. Yeah. No, I care about the planet. I just, I, I find the catastrophizing <laughs> stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Catastrophism. As you know, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not, I don't like catastrophism of any kind. So when people say if, if, if Trump had won this election, the planet would never recover. I can't take that kind of discourse seriously. I, I also think um, warning that if your opponent wins, the world will quite literally end is not is undemocratic in spirit. Um, we should never we should never raise the specter that if our opponent wins freely and fairly, that the world will literally end. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, I mean, I think that's one of the concrete uh, casualties for like a, of a, like a, a policy casualty of this. And not even that is a, a complete policy casualty to people for, for whom that is important. Um, you know, uh, well, I don't know, maybe maybe the the he won't be able to even do anything with the Paris Accords, uh, even though that's I you know, that's not even all that binding. I guess it has to get through the Senate. So. I but guess I get, that's dead as well. But well, so here's one thing. Here's a major implication. Putting so if you know we're talking now about the next four years of policy, I think maybe I think one of my concerns is that in with this current outcome, we're going to have four years of the in between, and what that means that Republicans will find themselves in a stronger position to to win in 2024 because you're going to have a weak ineffectual president in joe biden republicans will prevent him from having any major wins things will probably get worse in a number of different ways just because 
um, it seems to be the case that this century, just as the years go on, bad things happen that we don't necessarily anticipate. So it means that it means that there's no clear resolution to this era that we're sort of in this ongoing mid range position. And I would like, I think as someone who believes that, Hey, you have a president, there's a party that wins. They actually have a chance to put forward their agenda and then voters can judge them on their relative success or lack thereof four years later. Voters will not have that opportunity in this case because there won't be clear democratic governance. There will be an obstructing, obstructive, divided government that doesn't get much of, of anything done. Then voters will be asked to make a determination four years from now. At least Trump early on had was able to pass a lot of what he wanted. I mean, right? I mean, so when he had, well, what like the what? I mean, well, I guess he never really had that opportunity, right? Well, before the midterms, he had more of that. Well, so so let's 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 but let's let's uh, unpack some other things. Um, let's get back to that sort of this idea that that I mean, you 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 just sort of defined it as this this period, right? This sort of like in between period is that what yeah. you called it i mean the other way to think about it is you know if we're in the midst of a, some sort of political realignment right and and so that's one of the interesting things again we'll we'll see to what extent it's true uh that there was a, a major shift among um among minorities uh minority voting patterns that are beyond just say the distinct phenomenon of cubans in florida whether Trump has really moved the needle on that and what that tells us about going forward. That's interesting to me. I mean, and it's interesting to me more than just uh, because it uh, a lot of people who are very self-satisfied and have been sort of harping in an overly simplistic way about race and and um, and identity and uh, political affiliation are now sort of shown to have come up short on it. It's just, I think, a fascinating telltale sign about potentially a, tell, a telltale sign about the health of America. It's that I'm trying to remember, I was just actually uh, going on our website to go to the the first episode, but it was something to do with this idea of, you know, uh, assimilating uh, newcomers versus, um, uh, you know, the, the melting bowl versus the, uh, 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 the melting pot versus salad bowl. I think it was called healthy assimilation or white supremacy. That was the first episode we did. And, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, if, if it's true, if it's borne out that Hispanics, let's even leave aside this little, uh, data point that perhaps even black men, uh, to some extent also went for Trump in larger numbers. Let's just focus on Hispanics. If Hispanics are finding themselves enthusiastically supporting the Republican party, that tells us something that basically the factory, the the America as a factory that creates more Americans is actually healthy and working, that these people are just just becoming undifferentiated Americans that, like all Americans, have all sorts of by age and by socioeconomic status, have different preferences, different voting patterns by religiosity. And it's just much more complicated than that. I don't know. Again, I I I, I hear you about like wanting to get out of this period and have some sort of, I don't know, get onto the next thing. But it feels like we are getting onto the next thing. And but the next thing isn't very appealing. I mean, so what you're saying here about 
um, minorities, I think is, is fascinating. Um, and I think we had been joking in the lead up to the election about, um, how, you know, it was white males who would, um, grant victory to Joe Biden and minorities that would be the obstacle. Yeah. Um, you know, so instead of, you know, black women being the, the, the decisive factor that tips the balance, it's white men. That's kind of, you know, somewhat, um, ironic. Funny. Oh, it's funny. And yeah, funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. But I think that, um, it also makes me a little bit nervous that Democrats are losing a chunk of their coalition. And there's, I think, a promise. There's a promise of more to come. And maybe I guess what I'm trying to say here in, in a roundabout way, I think we're being reminded why the Democratic Party is not a particularly appealing party. And what is it that? Like, which it just, it just, a, it just, a, it, it's a sort of, um, it's not really great on anything in particular. It's simply less bad. And maybe that just, you know, that, that's politics, obviously, to some extent, but, um, it just seems to be an, a, a party that provides its followers and supporters with endless disappointment. That it's really, I feel like Republicans are more often proud of being Republican, where Democrats just haven't had a lot to go on when it comes to pride in our own party. And honestly, even when it comes to my, so even the fact that, you know, a lot of us, uh, us minorities, you know, the reason that we stay with the Democratic Party is, I think, um, a rational one that it's, def it's defensive. We're worried about what the Republican Party would do if it had more power. And we want a party to protect us. And the Democratic Party does an okay job of that. But that's not really, again, an inspiring vision for the future. That's purely defensive. It's about preventing bad outcomes. But when we actually think about why, why we're with the Democratic Party, it's hard to come up with a lot of affirmative reasons. Is preventing bad or worst case scenarios enough to keep this coalition of Democrats in place, this patchwork coalition of different constituencies and ethnic groups and so on? And I just don't think it's enough. But again, you're, you're the political scientist here, right? It's, it's it, these, these two party presidential systems like we have here uh, that just sort of you know, magnetically are pulled into this two-party thing. These are always gnarly coalitions that don't really cohere. I mean, it's not like Republicans all feel like they're part of one, some happy family. Uh, I think most religious conservatives will tell you that they feel like they've been taken advantage of by the Republicans for as long as they've been alive. And, they've and they also seem to love it. Donald Trump. And well, and that's the interesting thing too, right? I mean, it's and people have been sort of speculating about this. I don't know. Someone shared with us the like the Sam Harris's last podcast. I didn't listen to it, but something along the lines of you know they they understood that that uh, that Trump for all of his um, you know uh, let's call it not exactly uh, religious bona fides. It's it's still somehow uh, wouldn't condescend to them like like previous party people that like there was some sort of connection there. I don't know, whatever. I didn't listen to it, so I. But it, it's it's um, I I I just wouldn't project this idea that the Republican Party is more coherent or um, happier 
as a coalition than Democrats are on the one hand. On the other, uh, uh, point two, not on the other hand, like point two, um, I think eight years of Obama, the Democratic coalition felt actually pretty energized and pretty uh, coherent internally. I, 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 I think, think we were deflated by the end. By the end, sure. We were and losing I mean, down ballot. I mean, sure. just profound losses on the state and local level, obviously in the Senate. But that's um, politics, right? That's democratic politics. Is is and especially the, the democratic politics of these like mega parties that that contain multitudes, right? And it's it's so. I think you're right. You're 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 right to say that that uh, perhaps right now the Democrats feel emptiest, and maybe I understand then what your feel that like Bernie provided some sort of like real organizing heft, if not like specific policies that you would like die for, but like at least he provided a framework to sort of slot stuff yeah. into and like organize it. Um, but again, I, I, the, the, just to push back on your first point about this, like in between period, the in between period is exciting. If there's a reorganization coming, this is an opportunity for the democratic party to also reorganize itself. I mean, if, if Trump, and good Lord, Trump of all people, the guy who is, you know, uh, has been so dismissive of like Black Lives Matter and and was locking up immigrants on the border and all of that. If he is able to still somehow present some kind of political message that appeals to a variety of Americans, um that's just an opportunity, I think, for for the kind of big thinking for both parties to just sort of, you know, not be so dogmatic. And I think that that's what you're 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 up for. No? Yeah. Yeah. Democrats shouldn't take minorities for granted. I, I don't I feel like Democrats don't learn the right lessons when they're there to be learned. Mm-hmm. So I'm not particularly optimistic that the reckoning that we're talking about is actually going to happen. But, mm-hmm. you know, individuals have agency. And I think those of us who feel strongly about this will be making the case that there should be a reckoning and there has to be a reckoning. I just worry that these elites, uh, I, I feel I feel like a populist now going on about the elites. I guess, I mean, I'm technically an elite, I guess. <laughs> but um, but these this particular set of elites... No, man, they're Um, the worst. (laughs) (laughs) They're just like, they seem to be so immune to any kind of self-criticism. So I don't actually know how this reckoning comes to pass. I I mean, hopefully we'll, we'll see some signs of it in the coming weeks because, I mean, how can you really avoid the conclusion that a lot of people got some pretty big things wrong. But we said that after 2016 too, and there was no accountability there either. Maybe we might, we might argue that the second time's a charm and that, you know, the first time might've been a fluke and people were like, Hey, you know, let's give this another shot. Um, But if you get things wrong two times in a row on, on such a, on such a big level, then maybe enough people say, okay, guys, we got something wrong here. So, but again, circle back with me on why I, I, I'm I'm so optimistic about potentially this working out as being the best of all possible worlds. If Biden had won and um, the Senate had gone Democrat and they had like picked up more seats in the House and it was just like a complete uh, massacre, um there would be no reckoning, in fact. This way, we get rid of Trump, ideally, knock on wood somewhere, uh, and 
the Senate rebuke is the biggest slap in the face to everyone to really reckon. Um, but will they reckon? So I, I look, I take your point that in theory, that makes sense. There should be a reckoning based on the results in this election. I guess what I'm questioning is whether or not that will actually happen the way the way you're describing. There may not actually be a reckoning, considering there's just so much vested interest in this particular set of this, this political media class. They're not going to just be like, oh, we were all wrong. Let's have a revolution in, in the institutions and have new voices that were more contrarian and, and less amenable to groupthink. I just do you really see that happening? I mean, not in the media sphere exactly, <laughs> but but I I mean to a certain extent, you know, I, I share your your the other thing that you alluded to earlier, which is just sort of a, a fatigue with a lot of these things. I mean, we've I don't think this podcast has been monotone really, but it is it has been sort of especially in the last few months, uh, sort of unavoidable uh, that we are constantly wrestling with these sorts of things, and it does feel I, I share your sort of desire to sort of move on to to greener pastures on. Uh, subject matter wise, you know, just not constantly be be fighting these woke wars. I mean, I, I, I think, I think my optimism is that that uh, we'll be less compelled to do it. I mean, I think we should definitely make a concerted effort between me and you to cultivate a wider thing and and go for bigger topics like bigger ideas, other things that 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 interest us, and not get sucked into it. But I also do think that that. The optimism comes from the fact that this outcome, if it plays out, as I've just spent the episode uh, laying out how I hope it will play out, um, I think gives us gives one, not necessarily us because we may not want to do it, but gives one the the great set of tools to just smack down people who are just talking nonsense about this stuff. Okay, so maybe this is part of why. I'm not as enthusiastic as maybe I should be about some of these things is I guess I was hoping to sort of remove myself from a lot of these wars. I mean, it is nice and gratifying to say, I told you so, or in this case, we told you so. Um, But I guess there's something a little bit exhausting about reminding people why they were wrong and you were right. Like, it's not as awesome as it sounds. Oh, yeah. No, exhausting also. Yeah. And you also feel like, do I want to be that guy who's like, oh, um, reminding people why they were wrong all the time? Like, well, it's I not mean, like we're right all the time either. But look, I mean, it's just it's 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 this look again to recap the good parts. <laughs> Uh, yes, please. The, la- the last four years have been so irritating and I think dangerous on top yes. of that uh, because the whole narrative, the narrative of the elite class has been one of denial, has been one of complete denial of what happened in 2016. And I spent some time like digging into it, trying to sort of figure out what's what over time. I, it's just, you know, it didn't make a lot of sense that, that you know, Russiagate and all that maximalism was what it was. Uh and that was borne out. Then the fact that the argument became that these people are undermining that which they think that they're saving. Um, I don't know. That became pretty clear to me. And that's been sort of the motivating thing that's been that's been uh, like raising raising my uh, bile levels to the level that that, you know, I had to spit out at people. Well, guess what? Um, 
All of that now is gone because Trump's strong showing, even if he loses, and I think he will lose, yeah. proves that he he was legitimate for the last four years, that he is a real force and he has tapped into something real. And as I wrote, whatever, how many essays ago, like Trump is us, you know, it's, it's an important part of who we are. And I think that's unavoidable. People can still sort of crow about that. It's very easy for me to dismiss that right now. And it's very hard for people to make a case that that's not. They can make that case by emigrating to Canada. And by all means, I'm sure Justin Trudeau's fucking waiting for you. But short of that, um, I, I think that argument is dead. And I don't need to have that argument anymore. Except that a lot of other people don't agree that the argument is dead. So we think, okay, so on this point, we may think we're right. But it's not as if the art, the debate has been resolved in our favor. In fact, I would argue it hasn't. There's still going to be people finding ways to explain away Trump's good showing and and his previous victory it's so we'll it's not as if we can just take a step back we no if we really want to make this case we're going to have to keep on reminding people of why of this precise argument well no let right? me just say the two that have been dispatched Russia foreign interference you know mind control through social media gone that argument is gone and dead Second one. Right, but no one's no one's being held accountable for getting it wrong. Yeah, okay, so they've just gone quiet on this. That I'm not going to do. I'm not going to waste my time like scalping David Frum or whatever for his for his <laughs> stuff. I just don't care. Uh the 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 uh but the other argument, and again, I'm I'm being uh cautious about this because we don't know and exit polls are unreliable and blah 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 and blah 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 and blah blah blah. But I do think that the white white supremacy argument has taken a beating from this one. And I think perhaps perhaps to my satisfaction enough of a body blow that i it will still probably simmer and you'll have these dumb debates and the wokes and the rest of this and and i don't think that you know that whole thing as a phenomenon um because racial injustice is real and there are actual real underlying problems uh at the, as a broader phenomenon it's not going to go but i do feel that the maximalist narrative of uh What's her name? Ida Bay Wells, with whatever her actual name is at the New York Times. Uh, <laughs> I think I think that's that's taken one to the sternum, like a really serious blow to the sternum after this election. Again, and you can we'll tell see. she's panicking. And and I I haven't I saw that tweet last night. Someone <laughs> shared it with me because I wasn't on Twitter for the whole election. It was great, but um, uh, for the whole like twenty four hours until the votes were counted. But the um. I, I think I think that whole thing has taken a, a serious, serious beating. And uh, I, I feel like that's another one I don't really feel tempted to actually engage in anymore, at least to my satisfaction. It's it's gone. If it comes up again and, and starts, I mean, we can re engage with it again, but I feel at peace with it. So I don't feel I need to deal with it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. OK. OK. I like I like this. Unfortunately, Demir, I know we should do our bonus episode. I have a call at seven. Yeah. Okay. If you really want to, I can return and we can do it later tonight. In any case, before we get into that, I should just say to kind of cap this discussion that this is this is a reminder of why wisdom of crowds is so awesome from my biased perspective. I've had a difficult day and I haven't really been able to get my head around all the different strands of this. And talking this through with you, Demir, I feel a little bit more at peace. And now I can make the case more effectively to people who are distraught in a perhaps overwrought way that they need not despair. 
And there are actually some interesting silver linings if you pay closer attention to them. So that's really good. And that's the kind of iterative process that we um, feel like I'm like a professor at the end of like a, a seminar or something. But, you know, there's also we, we should also do the marketing pitch because I forgot to do it in the beginning. Yeah, that. This is going to be like, I think we have a lot to offer at Wisdom of Crowds and we want to do more where we want to amp up our, our content and produce more for you guys and make this more of a community. And if you believe in what we're doing, I would just um, ask you to consider supporting us um, and be, by becoming a member. And you can do that by going to wisdomofcrowds.live slash subscribe. $5 a month. That's all. And we'd really appreciate your support if you're, um, if you will give us, uh, if you'll, if you'll give us, the, give us the, the money. Who, who the heck? <laughs> oh, yeah. I wanted to say something like, give us the, forget that. Just give us, just give us your money. <laughs> there you go. There you go, Shadi. Very, very charming. A charming better. I'm getting better. I'm better. Getting better. Um, um, yeah. So let's, to uh, be continued, Demir. For sure. For sure. Talk soon. Okay. Later. Bye. Bye.